We'd like to salute Maurice Wooden of Santa Monica, California. Madness is, uh, because that's the thing I like about the summer times. It's, uh, it's cuckoo time. It uh, truly is the time for madness. I see that uh, Maurice Wooden has opened a computer dating service for dogs. I mean, real dogs. Not the kind of dogs that you ordinarily date. I mean, you know, real ones. His new firm, Apollo Canine Dating Service, brings together pet owners who want their dogs uh, mated. <laughs> and I quote him here. He says, we'll arrange a romantic holiday. Our dignified service includes computerizing and personalized canine matchings. We make exciting things happen to your best friend. <laughs> Excuse me, I want to do a little technical work here, if you don't mind. Just a minute, hold it, hold it now. Yeah, would you give me a comparative test in there, please? Would you throw the scope on this, Al? Uh, which uh, which one of these sounds best to you? I want you to listen carefully to the tone, please. Now, you hear that one? Listen to this one. This one? You like this better? All right, uh, please. Let's let's uh, let's get a test. One, two, three, please. Yeah. figures on that? On the scope? Well, of course, uh, I, I suspect that uh, we're on to something here. Have those of you who are listening tonight uh, are being, uh, being used as part of a scientific test that uh, they have discovered that sounds, and particularly overtones of certain types, harmonics and subharmonics, have a profound psychological effect upon the hearer, which... Uh, up to this, no, it's true, uh, which up to this point had been not necessarily recognized. Uh, just like colors, they recognized for a long time that various colors have certain emotional responses. So you show, you know, you, you, you whip out a, a pair of red jockey shorts, and then you cause a little excitement in the neighborhood. You whip out a pair of, you know, ordinary type white ones, nothing, nobody. Uh, so what is it? Well, it's the color red does this. Uh... They've recognized this in the animal world for a long time. If you were to walk out and you, you know, wave a light blue handkerchief at a bull, he just figures you got a cold. But you wave a red handkerchief at a bull, and you're liable to get a hoof right in your spleen. Not to mention uh, a couple of horns somewhere else. So uh, what is it? The color does it, right? So this is what's been observed among what they call them audiologists, the, the sound people. Now listen carefully to this note. Now turn up your radio, please. 
you will notice a rising sense of resentment uh, among the largest percentage of you who are listening, and this is due to the overtones and the subharmonics that are contained in this instrument, which is the Jew's harp. Now, there are only two instruments to produce this kind of... of uh, actually, it's illogical anger. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of uh, insensate hatred. An example of that type, but please, if you'll give me my kazoo... This instrument also produces the same kind. You hate that sound. Most people do. Now, uh, uh, no one knows why. If I were to sit down and play the piano, you'd say, oh, isn't that nice? Well, it's because the harmonics and the subharmonics, the, the, the clashing waveforms of the piano produce a soothing effect. There are certain instruments that do this. The harp, for example. You've never heard anybody walk around muttering in, under his breath, oh, I hate those damn harps. They're always, why, why did he want to play them damn harps? Because the harp does not cause that kind of emotion. On the other hand, sousaphones do, tubas do. You play a tuba in somebody's apartment and you're going to cause a certain amount of excitement. It's either going to be pro or con, but it will not go unnoticed. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's just a fact. Now, now, audiologists are working in this area. Now, if you will, please, now watch. Now, I'll show you examples of, of, of the kind of insensate passions, the emotions that are felt when you hear various types of instruments played. Now, will you please, uh, Al, if you will, one, two, three, four, please. All right, here we go. On the cheek of air. Ruffy, yes, that's true. Your love belongs to me. When you're asleep. Your tent, I'll creep. The stars above will rule this land. entail a certain amount of strain on the listener's part. Now, that's... That's... Uh, <laughs> that's... Uh, you, you, you see what I mean now? Even my engineer, now he's getting that angry look at the eye. He's basically a Norman Luboff string choir type. And uh, God help you. But, uh, <laughs> you'll need plenty of it. Let's see. Uh, I would like to also go on record before I... Before, you know, before this uh, entire essay tonight is put away, that there are certain 
Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Though? There's certain animals and certain sounds, things which are rarely discussed, which do have specific emotional... They cause emotional responses in you. Now, nobody knows why, really. For example, why does the owl cause a certain attitude or a certain response that, let's say, a blue jay does not cause? Now, the other night, it's been about oh, two weeks ago, I'll tell you, have you ever seen an owl outside of a zoo? No, I'm serious. Have you ever seen an owl outside of a zoo? Have you ever actually been close to an owl? I mean, a working owl. I don't mean one that's, uh, you know, in a pet store or something. Well, the other night, I was in central Florida. I mean, really, in this is so far off the uh, path of the tourist scene as to be in another country. Get out your map of Florida if you want to see where I was. No, I'm really, where was it? Well, it was in the center of the Everglades in a tiny town named Copeland, C-O-P-E-L-A-N-D, Copeland, Florida. And I went into this little tiny lunchroom, and uh, I, I'm sitting in this lunchroom having, uh, having a cup of coffee. And by the way, you know what they served in this lunchroom? In case you're curious, what they served in a lunchroom in central Florida in the middle of the Everglades as a regular bill of fare, fried turtle steaks was the leading thing that they served. So they had fried turtle steaks. They had hush puppies. They had, uh, <laughs> they did, they had grits and gravy. They had turnip greens, okra. Uh, they also served uh, red snapper, which was caught right down there in the glades. They served uh, snook, which was caught in the glades. And uh, that was what you ate, you know. So I'm sitting down there. I'm having, I'm having a turtle steak, and I'm having some turnip greens and some okra. And uh, I'm paying, you know, attention to nothing. But all, I, by the way, the jukebox there had the biggest collection of, of Merle Haggard and Buck Owen records that you ever could, you know. They, <laughs> and, and so, I mean, it's, it really has. It. You talk about uh, talk about the, the feel of the people. It really was there, see. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm drinking a little, uh, little Jim Beam, actually. And uh, you bring any of all you have. So uh, listen, I, I tell you, uh, one of the key characteristics of the truly accomplished traveler, which, by the way, is not the same as being an accomplished tourist. A traveler is not the same as a tourist. For example, a tourist gathers as he goes souvenirs. He has to actually remind himself that he's been at this place. And so, you know, he buys these funny little vases, and he buys, uh, you know, little... Uh, a plastic Mickey Mouse's with a little thing on the on the gut of the Mickey Mouse that says Okeechobee, Florida, and that kind of jazz. See, he has to he has to remind himself because he never really believes he was there. Well, now a traveler gathers his his souvenirs are in his head. Very different. So, what is the characteristic of an accomplished traveler? Well, one of the most important characteristics is the chameleon-like quality of the trap. He can, he he becomes part of the landscape wherever he goes. So, I walk into this joint in Copeland, Florida. Do you think I walked in and says, "Hey, you guys got any pizza here? How about some pastrami, eh?" Oh no, that would be you know that's uh, that's Sixth Avenue right down the line. Uh, so so I walk in, and I, I, I say nothing. See, I walk over to the jukebox. The first thing you do when you walk in a joint in Copeland, Florida, I walk over to the jukebox, and I, 
I reached down into my jeans. I pulled out a quarter and I put it in a machine. And I pressed two Merle Haggard discs. You get two for a quarter on this jukebox, see? So I go zap. And I zap the other one. And uh, so Merle Haggard starts to sing. He's singing White Line Fever, see? White Line Fever. And I walk over and I sit down at the bar. And this lady comes over up to me and says, uh, looks me right in the eye and says, what do you have? I said, got Jim Bean. I want Jim Bean Green Label. And she says nothing. She pours me out a finger and a half of Jim Beam Green Label, which I toss off neat. And right away, it's established that this ain't no tourist. And I got them cold blue eyes, as you notice now. That's right. So uh, I'm setting up the whole scene. So back of me is, is, is the sound of Merle Haggard singing about that white line fever. And inside of me now are two fingers of Jim Beam. Got them cold blue eyes turned like rays upon the back there where they, they're selling all these little peanut things, you know, as they have back the bar there, little little things like uh, like uh, uh, little uh, beef things. You ever see, had any of those salted beef things, see? So uh, I said, give me one of them. She said, you want one of these salted beef things? I said, I want one of them, yeah. So she tears it off the car, she hands it to me. So I rip off the cellophane with my teeth. <laughs> That's right. So I'm chewing on the beef thing and drinking more Jim Beam. So after this, of course, there's no question whether I belong there or not. And she hands me the menu. I said, uh, is the turtle fresh? She says, yep, sure is. I said, when you catch it? She said, yesterday. Luke brought it in yesterday. I said, okay, I'll have the turtle out uh, turnip greens and uh, how's the okra tonight? She said, very good. I said, I'll have okra. I'll have, uh, you got any cornbread? She said, yes, we do. I said, I have some of that, and uh, how about the... Uh, yeah, that'll be enough for now. Just bring that turtle steak, and I, and, I, and I don't want it too well done, and I don't want all that gooey stuff all over it. Don't pour all that slop on it, okay, you hear? She says, very good. And so she goes back to the little window they had in the door there, you know, they're hollering in the kitchen. She said, I want turtle steak, don't pour the slop on it, okay? And uh, so I sit down and wait. Well, <laughs> I like turtle steak. You ever had it? Well, turtle is good. It's a, it's a, it's a, by the way, uh, speaking of tur- this is WOR New York, and it is, it is good. And it has a certain, uh, certain taste, a certain, uh, a certain, uh, I can only describe turtle as being sort of halfway between beef and veal, but not quite either. So I'm sitting there eating my collard greens and, and a little okra and my turtle going down. And I go out into the parking lot. Now, wait, listen to this. Now, we're getting down to the basic point of the story. We're go- I go out in the parking lot, and, and, and my car, it's, it's hot out there. It's, it's nighttime. It's Florida. It's the middle of, you know, it's July in Florida. And you can hear, and it's in the Everglades. You can hear birds off in the night birds. And you can hear insects. For, you know, just as, as far as the ear can hear, you hear the sound of these insects. And if you've never been in the, in the Everglades at night, you have missed one of the really peculiar feelings because you have a feeling that you're really in and you really are in a wilderness. There's no kidding around. This is a real one. In fact, a hundred yards off the road, if you were walking any direction, you're probably <laughs> no way to be, it won't be seen again. And that happens. Uh, there's cottonmouths and there's alligators and there's everything, say, down there. Well, I go, I go back to, the, to this tree under which my car was parked. 
and it's warm. Or there's a certain uh, almost like jungle-like quality of, of, of the glades at night in summertime. It's the smell of the, of the, of the water and the smell of... There's a bird smell. You know, the greatest collection of birds in the world live down there. It's fantastic bird life, and you can smell it. It's funny. You, know, you really can. I'm serious. You can. There's a, there's a live quality. It's almost like when you go into the birdhouse at the Bronx Zoo or something. There's a there's a feeling of, of life and the and heat and and vegetation and all. So I walk under. Now this is what happened. I walk under the this tree. It's dark out in the parking lot. Just a little light on the side of this little this little dining this little little uh, diner that I'd had my turtle steak in. I, I walk back to the car and I'm by myself. All of a sudden I hear a sound. And at first, I thought it was something with the car. I couldn't figure it out. Then I thought, uh-oh, it, must, it might be a snake. There's plenty of rattlers in that area, plenty of snakes, because the sound is going... I look around. I was waiting. <laughs> Whoa, it was a, it was a very, very a cutting sound. You just couldn't help but look and wait and see what's going to happen, because... It was it was not a casual sound. It was not a sound that uh, that could be you know something uh, water pouring out of the side of the building or some kind of a dripping faucet or something because it was definite when and stop and it seemed to come from all around everywhere. Just I waited again. That's by God, that's coming from up there above me. And sure enough, in this tree under which my car was parked, right under this tree, behind this big tree, I see a, just a slight flicker of something moving, just a slight movement, because there was a little street light that was right next to this little diner that was casting a faint glow over this tree, and I saw something move. I looked up in there. I see these eyes. I said, my God, it's an owl. Sure enough, it was a big barn owl. Now, the barn owl is the kind of owl that you generally see in, uh, you know, there's a lot of posters of owls around today. The, the, the owl has got a certain mystique going for it now. People are owl collectors. They collect owl posters and pictures of owls. But most of those people have never actually seen an owl, a real owl. And most of them don't even know what kind of owl they've collected. <laughs> there's all kinds of owls, you know. And uh, this this particular owl was was a barn owl. Now a barn owl is the one you generally see in the posters. That's an owl. It's a pretty good size. He's about uh, oh, when he's sitting up, he's got these big you know the, the big ruff of feathers around the eyes. That big like he's wearing a big pair of goggles. And he's he's uh, he's about I would say this this particular owl was about uh, twelve inches or more high. And he's looking down at me, see, just sitting up there. Now. The owl has all kinds of sounds. Now, the the owl sound that most people hear is you, know, you hear this. That's an owl sound. Now, that's the way an owl will sound when you hear him, maybe a hundred yards, maybe two hundred yards away. But this owl was using an entirely different set of sounds, and they didn't sound good. <laughs> I mean, no, it sounded vaguely warning. He would go kissing like a like a snake. I looked up and he's looking right down at me. His head moves. Have you ever watched an owl's head move? Well, their heads, yes, their head moves in a strange way. It's like it's on a swivel. His body doesn't move and his head moves. 
And it can move all the way around. He can look over at the back of his shoulder. You know, he looks right at you. And he sits it. He goes. And then, <laughs> I, 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 I'm watching this owl. And just as I did so, something was... It was a flutter. And one went right over my shoulder. And he was joined by another owl who flew from somewhere behind me. Out of the darkness, out of the Everglades. And just, just glided right up. And he sat next to the first one, these two owls, identical, looking down at me. And both of them start that. Well, I looked up there and I said, my God, there's an owl. There's another one right next to him. And then I became aware, gradually, as I looked, as my eyes began to adjust to this darkness, I began to see there must have been five or ten owls in that tree all spotted in different parts of it and all of them looking down at me doing nothing just looking and once in a while I want to go well I got in the car I started the motor and I carefully backed out from under the owls and drove down the gravel turned right on that little road that ran right through the Everglades I drove down through that darkness, and so dark you couldn't even believe how dark it was. And back of me, I could see the neon lights in the rearview mirror of this little restaurant. All it said was, eat. Just a red sign, eat. And that was Copeland, Florida. A tree full of owls, and a little sign that said, eat. And a jukebox that had Merle Haggard discs on it. And a tree full of owls that hissed. Yeah, here we go, gang. All together now. Get them knees moving. I'm the sheep of therapy. Yes, sir. You must be wants to me. When you're in the sleep, asleep, 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 Awful scary. <laughs> now that's that's a true 
incident of, of uh, Florida, of a part of uh, the country that very little is said about and very little is written about. And I, I was talking to a lady sitting in there, see, and, and uh, she, she lives in the Everglades, right in the heart of the Everglades. She's got this kind of, this funny look of, uh, well, you know, the kind of look that you associate with, with Claire Trevor playing a pioneer lady of the 1840s. Just had that look. And there was a Seminole Indian camp not far from there. And uh, she'd lived all of her lives with, with the Seminole Indians in the middle of the, of the Florida Everglades. And her husband, incidentally, was one of the few guys who speak Seminole. So he, you know, he talked with them. And they knew him. He was part of a lot of their ceremonies. He had a name. They lived in the glades. And so I'm sitting there eating my turtle, and, and uh, I got talking to her. And when I'm, when I'm in a situation like that, I tend to, to adopt the coloration of where I am. So I said, how long do you live here? She said, all my life. I said, you mean you live out here in Copeland? She said, yep. She said, where are you from? I said, well, I'm, I'm originally from Indiana. She said, my God, I had some folks living in Indiana one time, come down through here, lived here for a while, they moved around. That must be a fun, fun state, Indiana. I said, it is. I said, no funnier than this is. She said, yeah, well, I guess so. That's right. She said, you know, they have winters up there, don't they? I said, they do. She said, well, you know what I told Bud? She said, you know, Bud asked me what I wanted for my birthday last year. And I said, Bud, you know what I want for my birthday? You know what I want, Bud? And he says, no, what do you want? Cappy, what do you want? You know, Bud calls me Cappy. He said, what do you want, Cappy? I said, I'll tell you what I want, Cap. I, if you want to give me something for my birthday, I'd really love to have. I'd like you to build us a... I'd like you to build us a fireplace. Well, Bud says, what? How come we need a fireplace? She says, well, I've always wanted to sit in front of a fire. I see him do that in the movies and in the pictures and the magazines. And I'd love to have a fireplace. And she says, you know... Ever since we built this fireplace, which was two years ago, the winters have been so hot. We've had the hottest winters I can ever remember here. It's never under 75, 80 all winter here. But I'll tell you what we do. Me and Bud, sometimes when it's late and in the middle of winter and maybe 75, 80 out, we start to find a fireplace and we sit in front of that fireplace and we sweat, but it sure is kind of pretty. And so I said, well, that's mighty nice, ma'am. I went over and put another quart in the jukebox and I played a couple of Buck Owens tunes celebrate, you know. Had myself another finger, Jim Beam went out and got and looked at them owls and got in the car. Drove away. Now, <laughs> now there's, you know, I thought to myself, you know, the idea of having a fireplace was so important to this woman that it was, it was the biggest thing that she could think of for her husband to give her for her, you know, her birthday and everything else. And now they sit in front of the fireplace on hot nights in the glades with a fire fascinating, you know? And that's part of the, part of the country that hardly anybody ever sees, talks about. The, the real glades. And when you talk about glades, you know, generally most people talk about the Everglades in the sense of preserving the glades or doing this about the glades or doing that about the glades. But what about the people that actually live in the glades? Did you ever meet any? I did. <laughs> I'll tell you. You better believe it. And it's a special breed of man. That, that he is so much part of nature that, that her husband, for example, he, he can just, he, 
the, the birds that fly around, he can tell every bird that's ever been in the glades just by shape and by form. Because it's part of his life, just as much as, as the average city guy can tell a cab coming from four miles away. <laughs> you know? He knows. And so, so, so Bud, you know, Bud, Bud knew about the glades. He was, it, was his, it was his turf. I'm thinking, you know, the owl, as I'm driving down that, that long country road, there's nothing but blackness on all sides. And I'm thinking, my God, what would happen if, if, I, if I started to lose power in his car and I'd drift off the way, you know, spending that night and the millions of mosquitoes. This is real jungle, see. And it's dangerous jungle. So I'm driving along, and I'm thinking about those owls. I think about the strange attitude that people have towards owls. An owl is different from any bird. In fact, who was it? The James Thurber, the writer, said, he said, you know, the owl produces a strange effect on people. I'm paraphrasing him very wildly here. I don't know exactly how he said it, but this is what he said. He says, you release 5,000 pigeons in Yankee Stadium, you get no excitement at all. He says, release six owls and you got a riot. <laughs> the owl. What is it about the owl? And you know, there's another bird that produces a strange effect on people. In fact, I have a little note here about one of them. They're mysterious birds. Wait a minute, I got got a note here. I'm going to read it to you. Mysterious birds. Where did I put it? Yeah, I'll find it. No, bye, George. I don't have it with me. But it's a mysterious bird that they, the penguin... I, I, a little note, I just, uh, I'll paraphrase it again. There's a little note that I got in the other day on INS that in, a, in, a, in an area just outside of the West Indies, guys who were fishing netted a strange thing. They netted a penguin. Never seen a penguin in that area, and he was, he was rapidly swimming north when they netted him. A penguin. Now, penguins have, a, have an odd effect on people. Now, penguins, now, well, they do, because you see penguin dolls. You see the whole, you know, penguin, little characters, penguins. Very few people walk around with a, let's say, a red-headed woodpecker doll or a, a wren doll, you know, or a, or a yeah, it's the, it's the penguin. Well, now, most people have never actually seen a penguin in action. Most people have seen penguins in pictures only. Now, that's the, maybe part of the mysterious quality of, pen, of, of owls and penguins is that they're rarely seen by people in their natural habitat. Have you ever seen a penguin actually being a penguin? Yes, I have. I've been around, Al. You'll have to accept the fact that I've been a lot of places you ain't. <laughs> and I have seen penguins being penguins. And it's a, it's a curious... Have you ever seen a, 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 a kangaroo? Being a kangaroo, and that's a very exotic animal to us. To the Australians, the kangaroo is about as exotic as a rabbit. And they don't like them, generally, because the kangaroo does pretty much what rabbits do. And you know what rabbits do. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, you know. And they do it uh, pretty efficiently, too, because they've been overrun for years with... with, uh, with uh, with these monstrous animals. In fact, I remember one day riding in a car uh, in in Australia with a guy. I, I you know, I'd, I'd heard about uh, about these animals. You always do. You know, you hear about you, you associate the kangaroo with Australia. Well, we're driving along this dusty road. I can't believe my eyes. 
hopping along right next to the car. He goes right across the road. Is a kangaroo that must have been seven feet tall. I mean, they are big. <laughs> they just go, dum, 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 dum. he bounces off into the woods. I said, that's a kangaroo. He said, yeah, it sure is. He said, what, what, what about it, mate? I said, well, it's a kangaroo. He said, yeah, he said, you got to watch for him out here. You'll have a hit one. You'll ruin your motor car, you know. I said, yeah, I bet they do. And he just hopped down past. It was an unreal feeling to see a kangaroo, you know, working as a kangaroo. He was not working at the Bronx Zoo. He wasn't making a guest appearance on Sesame Street. You know how kangaroos do with a cookie scene. He was a kangaroo. Well, I had, and, I, and the, the only reason that I bring all this up is that due to the curious life that I have led in some ways, I have run afoul of some strange creatures at the time when they were being what they are. One of the worst things that ever happened to me in radio or television involved a penguin. <laughs> you ready for it? Well, I'll tell you, I'm serious, that, that, that somebody got an idea. I was working out in the Midwest and going to school at the same time, and I was doing a television show, a late-night TV show. And uh, it was compared uh, at the time by many people who saw it with the, with the show that I did not do a guest show. I didn't have one of these things where I interviewed people. I didn't sit around and, and uh, sit at a desk and talk to Zsa Zsa Gabor endlessly, punctuated with dog food commercials. He called it a great show. That uh, that this show <laughs> was a curious show. And in fact, it, it was by the people who saw it. It was compared with what Ernie Kovacs was doing, whom I'd never seen at the time. But it was people kept telling me that it was like Kovacs. I never saw Kovacs. I just did what I did. See, but somebody got the idea. One of the guys in the in the crew that I worked with, one of the staff guys, says, "Hey, got a great idea." I said, "Yeah, what is it, Bob?" Well, you know, he, he had a great idea about every five minutes, every hour, any hour, see, and they never turned out to be so great, you know. He had a humor to guy. He had a strong union. So I said, what kind of idea you got, Bob? He said, listen, what do you say we get one of them cute little penguins? I said, a cute little penguin? He said, yeah. Why don't you do a show when you're, you know, just doing this thing, see? I don't care what you do. He said, because penguins are great. Why don't you do a show when you get a penguin? I said, but, you know, okay, Bob, that's not a bad idea. That you know, it did have a kind of an interesting idea. See? So we went to this place in town. We got the yellow book, and there was a place in town in Cincinnati where you could rent animals. You actually could, you know, rent an animal, you know, rent a turkey or something. So, <laughs> and so we called them up, and I said to these people, I said, "Hey, listen, I said, you know, I'm, I'm this guy that does the television show at night, and." Uh, I'm curious, uh, do you guys have a penguin over there that you, you know, hurts like rent a penguin or something? And the guy said, yes, we do. Now, do you want the emperor penguin or do you want the small um, uh, the small penguin? I said, uh, emperor penguin, that sounds kind of nice. What's he like? Well, he's about four feet tall. You know, it's kind of a tough penguin. So we'd suggest that uh, since you're not a penguin type, to start out with the small ones, you can work up to the big ones. So I <laughs> did you know that there's a lot of different kinds of penguins? So I said, yeah, well, I, I, uh, how about one of the little ones? And he says, okay. And he told me, well, I was astounded how much it costs to rent a penguin. It's like $45 for a day, you know. They don't come cheap. So I said, uh, how much? And he said, well, it'll be $45 for a day. And, uh, of course, that includes that 24 hours. That means you can have them all day and all night. You know, you have the penguin for that time. I said, does that include food? He said, well, yes, we'll send along some food. He eats fish and stuff like that. We'll, we'll send along if we go out to feed him. I said, well, you, know, you, you never think about these things. You, know, you just rent the penguin. So it began to snowball. I hung up, and I says, I'll let you know. And I thought, gee, you know, that's 
somehow I got thinking about the idea of having a penguin. Now, I had never been near a penguin, and uh, I'd seen penguin pictures. And, of course, being like most of you, I thought penguins were cute, right? You think they're cute. I no longer think that. No, no, I've changed my mind about penguins. And you would, too, if you spend any time around a penguin. So, sure enough, I called him up, and I says, okay, I'll, I'll go for that. I says, I'll read the penguin 24 hours. And uh, he said, well, you'll have to have a deposit. I said, deposit? He said, yes, a $20 deposit to make sure that you, know, you deliver with both wings still on, you know. <laughs> I don't know what the <laughs> deposit does. Actually, it, it should go the other way because I thought that penguins are much tougher than people. So <laughs> about, about an hour later, this truck arrives. <laughs> he arrives at my apartment. They didn't deliver it <laughs> to the station because for some reason or other, the station would not would not tolerate having a penguin delivered on the premises, you know, with all the girls in the typing pool and all that. So they says, if you want it, you can have it delivered and bring it out. So they, the guy delivers the penguin, and it comes in a big cage, and you know, wire chicken wire cage and all. And it has a handle on the side and stuff, and he just drags it up. He says, uh, is this your penguin? You order a penguin? I said, yeah. He says, well, it'll be $20, please deposit and uh, so I signed for the penguin. He looked great. He was really cute. So I dragged the penguin into the into my apartment, and he's looking out at me. Well, now he was beautiful little thing. He was he was about I would say about knee high roughly, to the average man you know the average grown up man's knee. And he's about knee high, and he's standing there looking. So I reach in, and I I had I had I had arranged. Oh, I'd better do this commercial here before we do anything else, gang. There are parks of all descriptions in your national park system. Parks all over the nation where you can relax amid outdoor beauty and the wonders of nature. You can see there shrines and monuments to famous men and events, keystones in our nation's history. There are national parks close to all Americans, for all Americans to see and enjoy. But sometimes it's hard to fully enjoy our national parks because some careless people are helping to make them ugly by burying them in litter. True, the National Park Service picks up this litter, tons and tons of it each year, and your tax money pays for it. Isn't this something that Americans can do themselves? Stop litter? It isn't hard. Encourage your children, your neighbors, your friends to protect the parks by not littering and by picking up litter in our parks. Helping keep parks beautiful has a fringe benefit, too. It makes you feel good. This message was presented to the public service by this station and the Department of the Interior's National Park Service. This is Merle Herman. Sam DeLuca and I will bring you New York Jets football live every game here on WOR AM Radio. Preseason games begin Saturday, August 5th at 7.35 when the Jets meet the San Francisco 49ers. Live professional football every New York Jets game starting Saturday, August 5th on WORAM Radio. Okay. Well, that penguin, if I may finish the story about the penguin, I'll tell you, I had a whole comedy routine. And I've discovered why you don't see penguins more often on TV shows. They're natural for TV. They, You know, they're cute. I open the top of this cage, and he's so cute. He's looking there, and he's got these little beady eyes, and he's, he, uh, believe me, he was dressed in a beautiful tuxedo, just like you see. He was, he was there all just a little white gut hanging out down in front, you know. He's looking up at me, and I said, oh, isn't he cute? See? <laughs> isn't he cute? 
And so I, I reached into the can which they gave me that was filled with these little dried fish. I take out one of these fish. I'm going to give him a fish, see? And so he goes, ah, ah. He smelled the fish. My hand goes in to give him the fish. And he goes, ah, ah, ah. And whap! My God, what a shot. He gave me a shot just above the thumb. He sunk his beak into my hand like an inch and a half. What a shot. Wham! He goes. <laughs> he stands back and he flaps his wings. <laughs> I said, you go. Oh, get that. What the hell? You know, blood is squirting out. So I, I, I advance. I've had this, this thing about five minutes already. He's got a shot. He's got a shot. And I reach in to grab him. The guy says, look, you grab him by the back of the neck. He says, you hold like a cat? That's the way. Did you know that's the way you pick up a penguin? In case any of you have to pick up a penguin, you do it the way you do a cat. You grab him by the back of the neck, see? That is, if you move quickly enough, you got to move like a snake. Because I reach in to grab him, and he sees what I'm about to do. And he, he sort of scrunches down a little bit. He scrunches down. Looking cute as... You know, you look like one of these little stuffed toys. See, he's going... Ah, ah, ah. He squishes down my hand. There, there, there. Nice little thing. Whap! He gets my left hand. What a shot. Uh, you notice this finger here is about an inch and a half shorter than it should be? Well, that's where it went. That penguin got it, see? Well, that began the battle of the penguin. Not only did the, uh, do penguins have fantastically sharp beaks, they move like a shadow. You have no idea what smells a penguin can generate just by being a penguin. And my apartment began to smell like like a vaguely, uh, let's say, a vaguely elderly fish. <laughs> what a penguin smelled like. <laughs> and he took an instant dislike to me. There was no, there was no liking for me. And by the way, the TV show was the next day, so he spent the night in my apartment. And I would hear him out there. I remember him. Him, him walking around in his cage and his feet go boom, boom, boom. And then he goes, shh, shh. <laughs> these little beady eyes. Ever since that time, my view of penguins and hours and... Oh, everywhere, mystery. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for John Scott and the News.